parables of Jesus from Matthew 13, beginning in verse 24. That's where I'll be reading from. And it says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The, owner, the, other, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. And so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. May God bless to our understanding the reading of this, His holy word. Amen. And we're going to look up a couple other passages a little later in the sermon. This week I was at, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona for something called the Big Tent Christianity Conference. Um, a few weeks ago, Chad Whitehead, director of our service here, uh, sent me an email saying that the Whites, Jamie and Dave White, our youth directors, and, and Chad and his wife Sarah were going to go to this conference And Jamie wanted to know if uh, Nancy and I would go along. And um, why didn't Jamie just ask me herself? I still don't know. But the fact that that, that the youth director would want the senior pastor to go anywhere and be seen with them in public just intrigued me so much. I I said to Nancy, I think we got to do this. 
we might never get invited to something like this again. So, uh, and I figured, boy, uh, you know, if, if they're going, there's probably going to be a lot of younger, hip people going to this thing, right? Um, it's going to be a thing for, you know, theological beatniks. So I wondered, then I began to wonder, you know, is this some sick joke? Are they just trying to set me up? And I began to look at my clothes. I said, I wonder if I'm going to be dressed okay for this thing. Am I going to have to get body piercings or tattoos just to, to be in this thing? I said, I didn't know. I began to wonder. Well, interestingly, in this conference of about 300 people, most, I'd say up to 75%, were seniors. People in their 70s and 80s. It was really quite interesting. And, and we learned, um, we didn't know going in, we learned that this big tent movement is a movement that tries to make a large space for people in the Christian church from all kinds of theological views. And I mean all kinds of theological views. Uh, we heard some things that um, were good and challenging. We heard some things that were kind of theologically and biblically troubling that uh, we, we couldn't sign on to. It tends to be a little more on the liberal side or those who consider themselves uh, progressive in some ways. Um, but, you know, whether you agree with someone or not, even in a context like that, it's still good to listen, to talk, to have discussions, to at least sharpen your thinking or to wrestle with some of the questions and the issues everybody faces in our faith and in our world today. And you know how it is. Um, we're very good at this. We tend to huddle alongside those who are just like us of the same, same theological and biblical preferences as us, right? Uh, I know I tend to do that. So uh, there we were, and um, it was a good, good couple of days well spent. Uh, but the conference made me think about this parable of Jesus that we just read, about the weeds and the wheat. Because many people apply this parable to churches, um, you know, we like to weed out those we don't think should be there. Um, in the church, in the kingdom, we want to weed out those who we think are too liberal, who are too conservative. We like to weed out those whose lifestyle or the way they are we don't particularly agree with. Uh, Indeed, the first question from the floor at that conference for the first speaker, in response to the first speaker, someone used this parable uh, about the wheat, wheat and the wheat. And the questioner asks, you know, if, if indeed there are really some people, we, we say we want to be welcoming to everybody, but are there indeed some people we don't want? We want to pull them away like weeds because they don't belong. And so some people think this is about the church. And every church has a mix of good and bad. There's no doubt about it. And uh, most people are good seed. People interpret it, well, that means there's some weeds in the church. Uh, there's good and bad mixed in any church. How do we decide who really belongs, who doesn't belong? How do we decide who's a wheat and who is a weed? I mean, who's really the real deal in any church? And, boy, who maybe is fake? Um, you might want to take a look at the person next to you real quick just to make sure they're checking out with you today. You know the saying... Just because you sit in a church doesn't automatically make you a Christian any more than sitting in a car makes, uh, sitting in a garage makes you a car, right? So just because I'm in a church doesn't mean it's all the real deal. There's good and bad mixed in. This parable is about a man who plants a field of healthy, good seed uh, for healthy, good wheat. 
And while he's asleep, the enemy comes and plants bad seed, wheat, in that field. What a rotten thing to do on any level, to come and mess up somebody's harvest and do this uh, very deliberately. Well, when the wheat comes up, the weeds come up too. And the servants of the owner of the field are shocked and can't figure out how this could have happened. But the owner knows. And the owner says, it's an enemy who has done this. The servants want to know if they should start pulling up the weeds. But the owner tells them that would be exactly the wrong thing to do because if they do, they might uproot the wheat as well. The owner isn't concerned with sparing the weeds, but he is very concerned with not damaging the wheat. And so the servants are told to leave it alone. The owner will separate it at the harvest once everything comes up, once everything is mature. There's two things about this parable of Jesus that are different from other parables he tells. Number one, in this parable, he gives an explanation. He doesn't always do that in his parables. But in this one, we read later, they're in, in, the, in the house, in the privacy with his disciples. They ask him, you know, what does this mean? You see, the disciples didn't get it the first time either. And our question is the same as theirs. Jesus, would you explain this to us? The second thing about this parable that's different, it's an allegory which is very rare for Jesus' parables. In other words, every image in that parable represents something in reality. So the owner represents the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the Son of Man sows seed in the world. And the weeds are the people of the evil one. The good seed is the people of the kingdom. And the harvest is the final curtain of history when all time ends. And at that time, the Son of Man will come with his angels And they will pull up the weeds. They will get rid of them. Now, as I said, many people apply this whole parable to the churches, to the church. But I don't think this parable is about that. And you know me long enough and well enough to know you can trust me, right? I don't think it is about the church. Because Jesus says the field is the world. He draws a much bigger circle than just churches or the people of God. He's talking about the whole deal here. I think this parable is about the world and why it looks so unlike God's good world. And why it looks so much like someone doesn't care and is just letting it go to pot. I think it's about the presence of evil and how people who belong to Jesus Christ must live within the good and the bad of this world, within the evil of this world, until the final curtain call of history. This parable asks one of the big questions that everybody asks. Why is there so much evil in the world? And where does it come from? Why so much ugliness? Why so much brutality? Sir, you sowed good seed in your field. How do you explain this? Where did the weeds come from? If this is God's world, why the evil? And that's a good question to ask. But many times people will ask that question under the assumption that God is the source of the evil. Never asking the question, you know, could there be an evil power that's not of God that is behind that? Could there be a power and a presence against God at work in this world? 
Uh, God doesn't plant these kinds of things that we see. You know, it's not fashionable um, for many people, including in many churches today, to believe in the devil. Some think it's silly to believe that there is a presence sowing and growing evil in this world. Why is it intellectually tenable, I want to know, to ask why God would bring evil, but it's not intellectually tenable to ask why a Satan would bring evil? Or you can reverse this. People ask, why is there so much evil in the world? Just turn that question upside down. Ask, why is there so much good and beauty in the world, too? Could it not point to a good God? See what I mean? As to evil, Jesus says an enemy has done this. God has an enemy. Jesus said the enemy is the devil, and he is not able to root out the good seed. He is only able to sow what is bad. Remember Jesus said that he is the good shepherd, and uh, he said the sheep that the Father has given me cannot be snatched out of my hand. The children of the kingdom are safe. But there is an enemy who can make it difficult on the children of the kingdom, on the good seed, in the midst of the good. Now, he does it within the church, too. Remember, Judas Iscariot was right in the middle of those disciples, wasn't he? And he can do it in our lives. All of us are a field mixed with good and bad. I have good and bad in me. We can't make too little can't make too much of the devil. The Bible tells us he is active, but that he is also defeated. The Bible says he is serious, but he is not ultimate. Why has God allowed him to continue on? Jesus doesn't explain all the whys, but he does say a day is coming when God is going to finally act and evil will be judged and done away with. Well, then I ask, why hasn't that been done yet? Well, maybe God knows something we don't. And maybe it would hurt what is good. Not everything is ripe and mature yet. And there are things we may want to do to get rid of evil. But it would hurt people and it would actually damage the cause of Christ. Maybe there are changes to come. Maybe there are things that are being worked out and revealed. And we have to trust Jesus on this one, even as we wrestle with that question of why. Why? Eugene Peterson observes this about the parable. I think it's a good point. That Jesus shows no panic in the presence of what is bad and what is wrong. He doesn't panic. And he doesn't take the children of the kingdom and put them in some greenhouse and protect them. He is confident that the good seed has vastly better survival strength than those weeds. He is confident that the children of the kingdom have survival strength amidst it all. I think this parable is also about patience. Don't miss the fact that in between the telling of that parable and the explanation of that parable, Jesus tells two other very short parables. Did you catch that? One is about a man who plants mustard seed and it grows into a tree that becomes very big. The other is about a woman who mixes yeast into flour to get this great lump of dough. Why does Jesus tell these three parables in a string like this? What is the parable of the Wheat and the weeds and the mustard seed and the woman with the flower all have in common? They have in common this. The element of time for things to grow and mature and the need for patience until that time comes. 
The owner of the field tells those servants, you know, be patient. Wait for the final harvest. The man who plants that mustard seed plants the seed and he has to wait patiently for it to grow. The woman has to work the yeast in and give it time until it works through the dough before it finally becomes all the dough she seeks. In the parable of the field, Jesus is speaking of the patience of God with us and with this world. Yes, there is evil growing right in the midst of this world and amidst the people of the kingdom of God. Why not just start ripping it out? Because apparently it might harm what is good. And it's not ours to rip out. Jesus, in this parable, he takes judgment right out of our hands. He takes it right out of our hands. He teaches judgment, but he says not until history is done and it is absolutely final. And it's not yours to do anyway, he says. Martin Luther warned against people that were so fanatical in doing away with weeds that they often didn't end up with any wheat either. And a truth of this parable is that what is good and what is healthy is at risk of being hurt if someone tries to destroy the weeds. God is tremendously concerned with what belongs to him, and he doesn't want that to be damaged or hurt. The final curtain of history hasn't fallen. God hasn't judged people. It ain't over till it's over. It ain't over till the fat lady sings. You've all heard that, right? Be patient. Now here's where we need to look up something in our Bibles, okay? It's right up there. It's 2 Peter chapter 3. And if you don't know where that's at, in the, in the Bibles we have here at church, it's page 1,181. 2 Peter chapter 3. And I'm going to start with the third verse. This is what the Apostle Peter writes here. He says, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is the coming God promised. And then I'm skipping to verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. See, that's the problem. We don't understand slowness. I don't understand slowness. He is patient with you. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. But he wants everyone to come to repentance. Boy, the Lord has been patient now for at least 2,000 years. Jesus' parable says to us that the kingdom of God, those who belong to God, are growing and influencing, and it takes time. It's like a mustard seed. It's like yeast. It's like wheat. And it's not until that ear has totally formed that you are clear on what it is and where it's going to end up. you got to wait for all the grain to come. People start separating. Just don't do that. Things are going to change. Maybe people will change. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's going to be some repenting. Find uh, who knows what's going to grow into wheat. He's patient. Second passage, one more passage, want us to look up. Go the other way in your New Testament, it's in 1 Corinthians. 
1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, that's on page 1,107 in the uh, Bibles here in our seats. The Apostle Paul writes this, uh, 4, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of people's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. You see, I think I have things figured out. I think uh, I have things figured out about people and situations, but I need to acknowledge often how short-sighted I can be and how I really am. And I've got to let God take care of it. You see, God is a patient God. Helmut Tulicki, the German pastor and preacher, he said this. He says, God is more merciful than we are. God is stricter than we are. And God knows more than we do. He is more merciful than we are. He is stricter than we are. And he knows a lot more than we do. But we see the really tough things. And we say, if we could just get rid of that, maybe i got to do something about it. It doesn't mean we don't address evil or hard things. That's not what Jesus is saying. But sometimes our solutions could do damage if, if, if we're not careful. Let them grow together until the harvest, Jesus says. The parable assumes God is in control. He will give the signal when the harvest is to come because he's the only one who knows when the time is. The son said, Jesus said, I don't even know the time. The father knows the time. Jesus does teach final judgment, but the focus and the focus of the parable is the end of the age. Hell and separation from God, but also the kingdom of God and those who belong to God. But that all belongs to God, not us. I'll tell you one thing that's sure about this parable. One thing I know for certain. We don't think we're weeds, do we? When we read that parable, somebody else, not me. Make sure that's true. Make sure you're someone who belongs to the kingdom, a child of the kingdom. And the way that comes is by surrendering and worshiping and bowing down to the king. Who is Jesus? He will not abide other kings in my life. <laughs> if someone or something is more important than he, then I've got to change that. We come to Christ by trusting him, by kneeling before him as Lord of lords and King of kings in our lives. It is the most important decision you will ever make. Peter goes on to say in, those, in that letter we read from Second Peter, he goes on to say this, that since the day of the Lord's harvest will come like a thief in the night. He says, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy, godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. And then he says, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with God and Jesus? And he says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience, it means salvation. God is working salvation. In other words, Peter's saying, I need to make sure my stuff is right with Jesus. Not worry about 
the guy next to me. I need to make sure my stuff is right and make sure I'm at peace with him. Because on a day of the Father's appointment, Jesus the King will come. And all that's false and all that's wrong and all that's evil will be exposed. It'll be done away with. But until then, God is pursuing this world in love, desiring all to come home, to all to come to him, and to sit at the table in his kingdom. So may Jesus, in the meantime, give us the grace to take the long view, give us the grace to be patient, and may he give us the grace to be truly his children. Amen? Amen.